all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. You just went right in for the kill on that one. I know. One. <laughs> You're not going to say your thing? Don't you have a new tag? No, well, well I'll it bring it out. It has to be organic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome. There you go. <laughs> uh, follow us into Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. And I can say that almost two beers in. There you go. I'm pretty impressed with myself. I'm impressed as well. <laughs> Thank you. Also, join us for our 200th, wait, All Bad Things, 200th episode record extravaganza. Also known as We'll Do It Live. What? We'll Do It Live. <laughs> um, we'll Do April, It Live. <laughs> April 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I, I don't know. I'm just fucking calling it and saying that's when we're doing it. Yeah. Hopefully that's cool with everybody or as many people as possible. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I'm going to figure out, uh, I will share a link so that anyone who wants to join can submit their email so that we can send you the Zoom link. You can also email us directly and we'll send you the link. Um, I just don't want to share it publicly just in case sure. there's... Spammers and gonna, yeah. Yeah, idiots. And... Uh huh. Exactly. So, so if you um, want to participate, you know where to go. Yes. Get a hold of us. Uh, so it starts at five. My, <laughs> I'm completely just making this up right in the moment. My guess is that we're gonna, you know, get everybody in in the first few minutes. Um, do the recording and then figure out some way to do some sort of interaction afterwards. Like either a free for all, everybody's unmuted, everybody gets to talk simultaneously, or some sort of measured Q and A or meet and greet. I don't know. It sounds so fucking pretentious to say meet and greet. <laughs> <laughs> That's just silly. So I don't know. With our, with all of our with our dozens of listeners. With our dozens of listeners, exactly. No, we do have more than that, thankfully. We do. But, um, we do. We have lots of great we, listeners. We, we don't know what to expect from our first live show. Yeah, it'll be a learning curve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For sure. Hopefully everybody will just enjoy it who yes. chooses to participate. That's the goal. Yes. Indeed. And then the episode itself will drop, I think it's May 3rd, is the actual date. Every, anyone who wants to can just count forward on the calendar. This is episode 197, so whatever. <laughs> I have to count three weeks. Whatever three weeks after this is. Guys, it's still tax season, and it's still going to be when we do this episode. Actually, it's going to be two more weeks of tax season. So you're still going to get tax season Raquel, whether you like it or not, in the live recording. Yes. I think they like it, though. I hope so. I don't. <laughs> but anyway, um, what you drinking? I, well, we are both. We are both. Having a Lone Rider sweet, uh, no, Shotgun Betty. Right, not Sweet Josie Brown. No. Um, sweet Josie Brown is unfortunately non-vegan. 
Yeah, I and I, I'm just not into brown ales anymore. Really, I did like I did like that one. I yeah. do like brown ales. But it's a um, uh, Lone Rider is a local a beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which we still have not been to. I don't think so. Which is crazy. It's so odd. Well, we haven't been anywhere in over a year. Well, that's so. true. <laughs> but even before then, you know. We'll get to it. It's on the list. Uh, yeah, Shotgun Betty's a staple, mm-hmm. especially because your sister especially likes it, mm-hmm. so we tend to get it. It's a Hefeweizen, and it says part vixen, part vigilante, and unfortunately, all really questionably sexualizing women, but sure, that's what beer does, it looks like a, it lo- unfortunately. It, it, looks like a, it looks like a screenshot from Red Dead Redemption 2, a little bit. Yeah, unfortunately, hypersexualizing women in beer is a big thing. It says, Shotgun Betty uses her <laughs> sharpshooting skills to target those that show a weakness for wheat beer with a body that won't quit. Oh, ha, There we ha. go. Uh, this German-style Hefeweizen <laughs> features a rich banana clove nose and refreshing dry finish. Despite the extremely pretentious description, which everybody does, um, it is good beer. Well, you want to be specific. Yeah. You yeah. Want to, you know, you know, there, there are sommeliers for a reason. <laughs> well, sommeliers are wine. They are. But this, this is, is for but this is for beer, like you know. But it's the same. Smabirier. You know the vanilla notes, and I'm picking up a mm-hmm. picking up a little bit of oak and cedar <laughs> um, and, and dirt. <laughs> One of my favorite. Um, so my mom is a longtime Fraser fan. Yeah. As we know. Kind of makes sense. And <laughs> she likes things that are just a touch pretentious. Um, and uh, they did a really funny episode about how each of each Niles and Fraser Crane wanted to be the cork master of their local wine club. There and they go. had to have a sommelier showdown, like who could taste the most or guess the most accurate or whatever the wine and uh, their descriptions were hilarious like <laughs> niles was like it was rich dense and chewy <laughs> <laughs> and it's just what every like lay person would think that wine tasting what the pretentious is. person would say <laughs> yes like this sound this just sounds right people mm-hmm. will buy this pretty sure that's exactly what happened yeah um I don't know that I taste banana or a I don't full know if body. I, I don't know if I whatever. taste any of the things they described. It's I just, a beer. Yeah, I just like it. <laughs> it's beer. <laughs> yeah. Tastes like beer. Um, let's see. We have the mower going on in the background. That's I don't fun think, for everybody. I don't think anybody can hear that. Oh, I think so. Mm-mm. What about the dog? I don't think so either. <laughs> oh, we are in full-blown yellowing. Yeah, the yellowing season. is upon us. Oh my god! It was. This was the first morning I went out for a walk, and it's kind of overbearing today. The sky was yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pollen is is really like, like bad the first today. thing I decided to do when I got up was like I'm gonna spray down the back porch. Because mm-hmm. it, did you it, take it was allergy just, mints? I did. Okay. Good. And. It was just like we have a like a little you know patio set in the mm-hmm. back, and we have a glass table, <laughs> and the thing. I mean, there was probably like an inch of it's pollen so on it. It was just like, it's so gross. like it's, wash ugh. away. Apparently, we're supposed to have rain this weekend. I so, hope so. Yeah, because rain really does help. It during does. This, time. this is the only time of the year I'm like, I hope it rains. Right. Mm-hmm. No, seriously. Well, now that we've had our little happy chat, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesse Pinkman is joining us and will not be able to scratch any records because all records have been removed from the room. He's like, I know. He knows. That's why he's behaving. 
Because like, there's nothing to scratch. It's just books, and I don't enjoy scratching books. Mm-mm. Yeah, we're on to you. Mm-hmm. So what doth we be talking about so, for this episode? I got all... And this is also the reason that I uh, wanted us... To, well, you, you showed us a funny... Or you showed me a funny clip of uh, oh, Hassan Abi, mm-hmm. who you like to follow. Um, and, and that was entertaining in the night because um, all things being equal, I got to show you something that I very much enjoy, which is the Real Housewives of Atlanta <laughs> having a cat fight. And uh, so that was all to get us in jolly mood because <laughs> this is going to be such a fucking bummer, man. I'm I'm really not. I, I, I anticipate this being really bad. Okay. I only know the broad strokes, but it does not sound like, I mean, this is all bad things. So yeah, it is. it's not going to be good. So this, um, it, this one, so remember a couple, was it a couple weeks ago? Yes. For the Yosemite, uh, episode by Rebecca, I said it was by Leanne. Yes. It's because I was getting it mixed up with this script. Okay. This is by Leanne, who was done research for us before. Um, uh, the other one was by Rebecca, obviously. This is by Leanne. Uh, Leanne's really good at pounding out research. So <laughs> thank you, Leanne. Um, yes, thank you very much. Yes. for And obviously for everybody who yes. submits research, we keep it all. We are working on getting it all. We have an unusual amount of air disasters. So, we do. We have quite a few. So we're probably going to like sprinkle <laughs> those to spa- in gradually. We're, we're trying to space those out as much as we yes, can. Yes, not just be the air disaster but it's, pod. But it's going to get to the point where we're going to have to do like five straight <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, right? <laughs> so if, if you if you have submitted an air disaster and you've not heard it yet, that's kind of why we're trying to right. trying to balance out the disasters as as much as we can. Right, and uh, not to give anything away, but the two hundredth maybe. So we're wanting to be careful leading up to that. All right, so this starts out with from Leanne. A major trigger warning. <laughs> right, right off the, right the get-go. Major trigger warning with this script. It includes descriptions of a drunk driving-induced automobile crash, oh, Jesus. fire deaths, and people being badly burned. Mm. So all the recipe for... Hmm. Or all the ingredients for a very... <coughs> a very appropriately named all bad things, but pretty terrible. <clears throat> This accident is very upsetting to read about, but a lot of very important safety upgrades in school buses, so there's another trigger warning, were a direct result of this crash as well as the decline of drunk driving in the United States. So this is the story of the Carrollton bus crash. Mm. The Carrollton bus crash was a motor vehicle collision that involved a former school bus being used by a church youth group and a pickup truck driven by a wrong-way drunk driver. Mm. 27 people in the bus died when it caught fire due to the fuel tank being ruptured, making it the deadliest drunk driving crash and the third deadliest bus crash in U.S. history. So this is the deadliest drunk driving crash in the U.S., yeah. Well, I guess there is one. There has to be one, right? Yeah. I guess this is it. The crash occurred on May 14th, 1988, on Interstate that 71. Okay. I, yeah. I would have been guessing this would have taken place in the 70s. 
That would have been my immediate you guess. You know, I feel I feel like I probably would have said the same. I remember a bunch of like don't drink and drive PSAs in the 90s. That's when we were growing up. Yeah. But when people were adults in the 70s, mm-hmm. uh it was people were fucking maniacs. Like in the I mean, I remember mm-hmm. my uh <laughs> my music teacher who I had like in 5th and 6th grade, mm-hmm. like meeting up with him again and I was an adult and he was an adult. Uh-huh. I was like 23 or 24. I saw him at a bar and we were talking and he was just like, he was, and drunk driving came up or whatever. And he was just like, he was like, man, he was like, when I was growing up and you got caught, he was like, he was like, the police just followed you home. He was like, they didn't, oh, geez. he was like, wow. he was like, he was like, it was no big deal. Wow. Yeah. He was like, he was like, you had to be like severely drunk to get like, like a like ticket. swerving. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, wow. I'm like, I'm yeah. glad it's not that way today. Of course. <laughs> Of course. Um, and there, wow. there's also, like, for me, like, because there was sort of a bit of a drunk driving, I wouldn't say epidemic, I wouldn't necessarily say that it went that far, mm-hmm. but in the 70s, you saw, like, massive spikes every year, and mm-hmm. it was just like, what is, part of it is, I mean, really part of it is Vietnam. Ooh, just, just alcoholism in general yes. being an issue, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had all these people coming home. Yep. Who were, even if you were Traumatized. Phys- physically mm-hmm. in peace, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which unfortunately you can't say that for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. But the whole country was traumatized by it too, because yeah. everybody had a brother or a, mm-hmm. a dad or a cousin or mm-hmm. somebody. Well, maybe was over the, there. the reason the 90s really picked up on the anti drunk driving sort of. I don't want to say rhetoric because that kind of has like a negative connotation to it, but like. They started to like legislate the, it more. Yes. Um, Much more. Is because of, well, oh, I'm, I'm sure Leanne will get yeah. into that, but because um, I remember even like they had a fucking Saved by the Bell episode that was about like don't drink and drive. Sure. So if, when you know it's bad when Saved by the Bell is doing I mean, there a used very to be, special episode. I mean, I remember it. watching MTV when I was in high school yeah. and there would be uh, don't drink and drive mm-hmm. ads on all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that, that was a big portion of who did drink and drive and died in car accidents were, were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this crash occurred on May 14th, 1988 on Interstate 71, five miles or eight kilometers south of Carrollton, Kentucky. Okay. So, Geography Corner is probably the nicest thing we'll talk about <laughs> for the Pro- rest of the episode. Probably is. Carrollton is... We should the, save it for last. <laughs> right? Carrollton is the county seat of Carroll County. In northern Kentucky. So I'm thinking like... Close to Ohio. Ohio, yeah. Okay, yeah. so Kentucky. And it's located at the confluence of the Kentucky and Ohio rivers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right on the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Is it Cincinnati? Cincinnati that's close is right to across okay. the river. Okay. Yeah. Kentucky itself is located in the southeastern inland region of the United States. The state of Indiana is on the other side of the Ohio River, and Cincinnati, Ohio is about 54 miles or 86 kilometers northeast of there. See, we just had to wait for Leanne to answer yes. our question. <laughs> the victims, however, were not from here. They were from Radcliffe in Hardin County, Kentucky, just over 90 miles or 144 kilometers to the southwest. Radcliffe itself is about four miles or 6.4 kilometer. What? Climometers. Kilometers. Kilometers. I like climometers, though. That's better. Maybe that could be like a like a measurement for a for a peloton. Climometers. Yes. Because you climb. I gotcha. Kilometers. 
south of the U.S. Army Base Fort Knox and approximately 35 miles or 56 kilometers southwest of Louisville. Um, Fort Knox is always what I thought were like... Have you ever heard of Fort Knox? Oh, yeah. Like where it's they where keep our gold, gold reserve yeah. is yeah. kept. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Where our biggest amount of our gold reserve is right. kept. Uh, Carrollton was originally... Oh, so now we're in History Corner. Carrollton was originally called Port William and officially founded in 1792. It served as the county seat of, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Gallatin County. It could be Gallatin or Gallatin. I like Gallatin. Sounds Gallatin, better. Gallatin, I think so. Gallatin sounds like... It does, but then again, we Could have be. Blunt Street, and Blount sounds better than Blunt, but we still call it Blunt. So I think I Blunt know. sounds better than Blount, to be honest. Blount. Blunt. Blount. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gallatin County until 1838 when the county was split, creating Carroll County. And this is Carroll, double uh, R, double L. Sure. Just uh, interestingly. Like, I wonder if that's where Carroll College is. I've never heard of Carroll College. Yeah, is it double R double L? It was like a it was like a small Division One school for football for oh, a while. Maybe. I think it still might be around. Uh, Port. Well, universities don't generally close. They they, they, they some but they sometimes do. Like well, they it's can. a weird it's a they weird can. thing, but yes, they mm-hmm. they do sometimes. Fair enough. The endowments aren't there. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. You gotta shut the doors. Port William was renamed Carrollton after one of the last living signers of the Declaration of Independence at the time. Charles Carroll oh. uh, became this. Oh, it was named after him and became the seat of the new county, which was also named for him. During the Civil War, Carroll County was strongly pro Confederate. I mean, we are talking the South. Well, not necessarily. This is the weird. What? So. Uh, I think I uh, here's what I think. I think people think of Kentucky as the South, mm-hmm. like. As in culturally, mm-hmm. but ge- uh, geographically, it's, it's not. Midwest. It's Midwest. But, yeah. but I'll tell you, I lived in Southern Indiana, which borders Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And it felt pretty south. Now it felt south in a different. It felt South Midwest. Maybe that's what it it's is. It's kind of a. Uh, it's of the South, but it's not in the South. Yes, it it didn't feel deep South. Yeah. It felt South. Uh, I've only driven through Kentucky. I've never, I've gotcha. never stopped and hung out there. I've, I've wanted to. Beautiful country. Yes, absolutely. I really wanted to stop Beautiful in Lexington. Um, Lexington looked freaking gorgeous. I've stayed in Louisville, um, and well, we still have the bottle, bottle of Woodford Reserve mm-hmm. from my little jaunt on the Bourbon Trail. So, no, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. There's a. <laughs> I mean, it was a bunch. Like it was literally just a bunch of hills and farms. But oh, and it, but beautiful. it looks, but it looks gorgeous. gorgeous. Yes. Um, there's actually a walking trail of the Bourbon Trail, I'm, which is probably the smartest, it. especially yes. considering this shit. Yeah. Best way to do it. So, um, all right. During the Civil War, uh, okay, okay, Carroll County was strongly pro-Confederate, although a small number of white residents did serve in the Union Army. Mm-hmm. In 1868, the Louisville and Nashville Railroad was built in the area which fueled the town's local agriculture economy, especially the production of tobacco. As it did all across the country. That's yeah. that's the beginning of the Transcontinental Railroad, mm. is what that's describing. Gotcha. What? Mm. I'm going to sound really stupid saying this. I've heard of the Transcontinental Railroad. What was the primary impetus to, for to, it? Uh, to connect the East and the West. That was the oh, main okay. reason. Literally transcontinental. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the early days of like the yeah. gold rush and where, the where, western. Where before you had to take a fucking wagon if you wanted to go to gotcha. California, 
or um, be unfortunate enough to like the. Um, you were likely going to die, like if you. Well, like the what's their name expedition that we need to cover one day that they had to eat. I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name other. of it. Oh my god! Everybody's screaming they it are. at us right now. So let's, let's move on. Okay. We'll think of it later. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people tweet us about it. <laughs> Those people. Yes. Um, Donner. Yeah, the Donner, Donner Pass. party. Donner party. Mm-hmm. Radcliffe was first settled in 1919, but not officially incorporated until 1956, around the same time that Camp Henry Knox was founded, later named Fort Knox, in 1932. Radcliffe grew during the 1930s and during World War II as Fort Knox expanded and thousands of soldiers were sent there for training before being sent overseas as well as spending leisure hours at the USO, the United Service Organization, Services Organization in Radcliffe. The USO kind of like a hangout for... How I've always understood it is it's kind of... Um, it's the best way to say this. It's like a promotional tool hmm. of the armed forces. Okay. Um, like a, like the support element. Okay. You know, like okay. emotional support. The social and, yeah. sort of. Okay. That's how I've always understood it. Because I, I know of it from like USO tours. Hmm? Like celebrities used yeah. to do USO to, uh, tours. It's to entertain and to... Yeah. Morale. The morale sure. branch, kind of? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you don't get that in the actual war part. Oh, jeez. Where, <laughs> where you're supposed to, because we're supposed to be giving everybody freedom. Wouldn't you be excited about uh. that? <laughs> so, the bus. I would be excited about that. <laughs> yes. The bus. The church bus involved in the crash was a 1977 Ford B700 body-on-chassis school bus model with 11 rows of 39-inch or 99-centimeter wide bench seats, so 22 seats in total, on either side of a central aisle, 12 inches or 30 centimeters wide. I mean, this, Ooh, ha- this, this happened. Aisle. I mean, this happened in 1988. I mean, I I was going to grade school still in, in 1988 like in this. buses. Yeah, so uh-huh. I, I, but, I very but much a, know what this. But a central aisle is only 12. That inches. was tiny. That's, yeah, that's itty bitty. Yeah. No, this is 12 inches. Yeah, and there were no there were no seat belts. I can tell you that. No, even when I was going to school in the yeah. 90s, they didn't have school. I don't even know that they still. They, I'm sure they do now. Do seat think... belts in a bus, oh, they must. We should ask. We should ask our. I'm sure niece they and do. nephews. I, I fucking don't know. I fucking hope so. I mean, I hope so too. <laughs> but mean, is it practical? I've, yes, because I've seen seatbelts in buses before. In school buses. Yes. Hmm? Okay. Even even as I got older, there I were never did. Yeah. No, we just we just fucking. I guess they were. Ken growing up in the 80s and 90s, yeah, I didn't give a fuck. That's going to school is like in Indiana. Like, <laughs> no, no seatbelt for you. You just pray for a safe ride. I only, let me see, I, I rode the bus to school in like first grade, basically first grade. So I was in Minnesota at the time. <clears throat> I was pretty little, but. I pretty much did up until my senior year. Yeah, that's it's when, really common. That's, your senior year is when finally you have a friend that has a car. <laughs> or if you're lucky, you're the friend that has the car. Yeah, that or was, unlucky, that was depending. No, I, was, I was a dependent. <laughs> but no, you I couldn't get claimed by the taxes. I literally did not have my own car until I was 20. Oh, well, that's, I feel like that's... As, it's like age appropriate. If you, if you can, especially if you're living with your parents and you're using their car, that's pretty Lame. standard. Because you couldn't smoke weed in it. <laughs> well, you could, you could just your, you could just smoke weed around it. You could, but your mom would just think that there was a skunk in there. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to tell that story some other time. <laughs> That's a fucking good one. 
<laughs> I'm so glad I was there for it. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a, a live episode bonus. Yeah. <laughs> that involved like a bunch of fully grown adults, though. It did. It was hilarious. <laughs> With children. I've told that story to my parents. <laughs> Even they find it funny. So fucking hilarious. Ah, uh, the seats were <coughs> constructed of polyurethane foam filler, of course. Mm-hmm. Covered with... And I had that hard... Pla- mm. like well, a- that is polyvinyl chloride. Yeah, I'm, I, I can still remember... Is that PVC? I don't know. Is that what PVC... No, I don't do think so. Polyvinyl chloride. But I can still remember how it felt and how it smelled. Oh, I know. How it's it smelled. Like that. It had that mm. weird kind of plasticky smell mm-hmm. to it. Like, and it was green. It was always that weird greenish I, I remember color. it as like brown, but I was real little, so yeah. maybe I don't remember it correctly. They, they probably just had different... They're like, oh, this one came out brown. <laughs> we'll still use it. They were meant to be the same <laughs> yeah. color, but it varied. It's still going to kill children. <laughs> yeah, right. No matter what color it is. The bus had one emergency exit located in the rear that was 56 inches or 142 centimeters high and 36 inches or 91 centimeters wide. So here's what I remember. I do absolutely remember the emergency exit in the back. back yep. But I remember that when there were window exits. There was one too. on the there was one on the top too. There was yes, a patch on the uh-huh. top. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's as a result of this. Maybe we'll find uh. we'll learn some more. The chassis was manufactured at Ford's Kentucky truck plant in Louisville and then was shipped to Lima, Ohio. It's Lima, right? Not Lima. I think so, Lima. Yeah. Lima, Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's Lima, Peru. Sure. Anyway, where the body—it's good was, enough for Peru. There you it's go. Good enough for Ohio. Damn straight. Said nobody ever. <laughs> I think that's where Glee took place is in Lima. Anyway, where the body was installed at Superior Coach Company, a company owned by industrial conglomerate Scheller Globe Corporation. It was certified as a school bus with an effective build date of March twenty third, nineteen seventy seven. Just a little younger than you. Mm-hmm. Which is when the chassis began production, as required by federal regulations at the time. That makes sense that they have like regulations about sure. build dates, because that dictates. And every the... and every state was probably different, mm-hmm. but there was probably overall, I would guess, probably some sort of federal regulation on what a school bus should be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's so the buses I was riding on as a little kid, like they were all like sorted out at this time. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. <laughs> it was like, yeah. this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. And this is how we'll use Here's it. Here's the bus. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know, I guess, too, I'm thinking about it. Like, 12 inches seems so tiny for an aisle, but there are little children on it. So maybe they yeah. don't need, that was the idea, is that they don't need as big of spaces. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt, feel... uh, Matt Gates wasn't getting on that bus. <laughs> I feel like I remember as a kid, like, you know, when you'd get on the bus and then the bus driver would start driving before you sit Oh, down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, like, hold on <laughs> to the... Yep. And, <laughs> the, and you the hold jerk. on to the, the seats as you, like, fight your way down you know, the aisle. And you oh know, and you know sometimes they did that shit on purpose, like, to the kids they didn't they, like. They hated us. But, so I... We had to... Oh, my God. This is such flashbacks. Even in just this brief time that I rode the bus in first grade. So we lived in Hastings, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. We went to JFK Elementary because everyone was JFK or Krista McAuliffe at that point. And oh, yeah. uh, um, we we had <laughs> my grandpa and my dad built us this little school bus house. 
like at the end of the driveway because it was such a long walk because we had a bit of property and it was so cold in the winter. Anyway, we had the morning <laughs> and bus then, And then if you missed the bus, you had to take that to school. <laughs> <laughs> We had a morning bus driver and an afternoon bus driver. The morning bus driver was Bill, who for some reason I have in my head was an uh, was a Vietnam vet. I have no idea if this is accurate. Probably was. But I have it in my head that he was. <laughs> Short good, good gray hair and, and like uh, glasses or sunglasses. If you were like a 40, 50-year-old male in the 90s, there's yeah. a very good chance you were a Vietnam vet. Yeah. And then um, in the afternoon, it was Jeff. And Jeff had longer hair and sunglasses. And I remember he would stand up, turn around in the bus and say, everybody sit and shut up. Wow, that came out of nowhere. Yes. I shit you not. I remember that specifically. He would scream at us to sit down and shut up constantly. Well, if you're around little kids all day, what else would you do? I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> no, I don't in either. In retrospect, no shade. I will just scare these children. Yes. It's just what I'll, I'll watch, weird... I'll watch one of them try to get to the back of the bus before I hit the gas. <laughs> See if I can send them to go flying forward. <laughs> oh my god, just what a weird like flashback. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Um, this build date, March 23rd, 1977, would prove to be very significant later on. The bus was delivered in time for use during the 1977-78 school year and served 10 years in use as a school bus. Radcliffe First Assembly of God Church acquired the used school bus as surplus from the nearby Meade County School District in 1987, and it had been owned by the church for about one year. In use with the church, the bus was used daily for short local moves on school days and had made several other long trips to Louisville, Cincinnati, and Nashville. It was checked over regularly by mechanically inclined church members. Ooh. I don't like that. Uh, including yeah, I, a, I, don't, I don't agree with that statement. <laughs> including a civilian motor pool supervisor from nearby Fort Knox. It's like, a, did you fix that axle? Mm. I, I prayed over it. Oh, geez. I don't think they mean that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm kidding. But <laughs> but it's not but like... But I'm not really... It's not like regulating. No, so. it's not like it's not like a mechanic mm. mechanic. Two, or, maybe, or maybe it is. Maybe. Who knows? Two new tires of a good commercial quality had been installed a week before the ill-fated trip and front-end suspension and steering parts examined at that time. By all indications, the bus was in good condition mechanically the day of the crash. So now the trip. Well, I mean that that is good to know. I mean, I'd rather have that than oh, there there was this report about the rear axle that had been right, like a a bad mechanical yeah. failure or something like, like that. Like oh, yeah. we kept overlooking it, kept overlooking it. Mm. So okay, so we're. It sounds like it's not a mechanical the, issue. The end is going to be horrific, of course, but at least right. we're off to a. The bus was doing what it was supposed to. It's it appears so mechanically. It appears so. That's something. For the disasters that we've covered. Oh, jeez. No kidding. So on May 14th, 1988, it was the day of the Radcliffe First Assembly of God Church's annual trip to Kings Island Amusement Park in Mason, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, You know of Kings Island, right? My dad's talked about it. I think they have... Maybe we even mentioned it at some point. I feel like we maybe did. 
Probably um, during the Action like, Park episode. The, maybe the world's like oldest roller coaster or wooden roller coaster. I There's think, something like that. I think at one time they had like the biggest roller coaster something. in the world. Something like that. Something. They they held but yeah, some, it, it is some like sort a, of. It is, still is, was. I think it's still around. A, King's a destination. Island. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. For amusements. Amusement parks. Mm-hmm. Amusements. Just general amusement. Just amusement. <laughs> just to be amused. <laughs> you just go there. Do you want to be amused? Go to King's <laughs> Give me $50. <laughs> be amused. The church had taken this trip the previous year without incident, and it had become a popular event with the teenagers of Radcliffe, some of whom were sure, not church members themselves, but had been invited by friends of theirs who were. So yeah, It's literally like in their neighborhood, in their neck of the woods. Yes, and also it is important to note that like part of... so. I was not really a member of the youth group per se. Per se. I was too school for too school for cool. Um <laughs> she, she, she knew. <laughs> You were uh what wait, what what were you just calling it? I said too school for cool. No, before that. Uh youth group? What yes, you, you were yeah. you were youth group adjacent. <laughs> it was youth group adjacent. <laughs> they wouldn't let her in. See, I I I just thought it was too trifling to be a full-fledged member of the youth. She group. was like a libertarian. Did not do, <laughs> did not do the fucking lock-ins. Did not do the pizza parties. Did not do the pool parties. Um, oh God, I remember like going to a pool party but not participating in the pool party. And I remember one of the adults had written this this sign that said "Welcome to our Ool Party." Keep the pee out of it. And I was just like, "Well, now I'm not. I I, do, I was not planning on going in the pool. Now I'm definitely well, not going in the pool. Thank well, you very it's much." It's a good thing that antisocial behavior didn't transfer to your adulthood. <laughs> it started early. It started very very early. If you if you saw like twelve year old Rachel. And you knew me as an adult, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah I, knew, I knew her when she was 12, too. <laughs> this makes sense. This makes sense. Um, but in terms of, like, youth groups love doing, like, let's do cool shit in the name of God. And <laughs> and let's bring along that's, the that's, heathens. That's a, that's a pretty wide explanation of... <laughs> You can interpret that in many different ways. Well, you know. Like, let's take over a continent and in the name of God. part of it is that you can hook non-believer kids into it, too, because yeah, it's a fun activity, you know. Even, so. the, even the youth group adjacent kids. Yes. <laughs> uh, the only, let's see, I went to acquire the fire in Tampa, which is a god. <laughs> we won't even get into that. Let's Was it a on. choir as in like a singing choir? No. Acquire the fire? Like, or is it a choir? Like, a choir get, as in get to get, the get fire. yes. Okay. It was a stupid fucking... That's not a very good message to send to kids either. Well... Acquire the fire. That might mean... That means I should burn down the house. No, what it means is you're not supposed to have sex before you get married. They made that very clear. Like, to, that was the keynote old. speaker. To eight-year-olds. No, like, more like 12 to 16-year-olds. <laughs> anyway. That's better. We met Earth Suit. I don't know. That was... Sarah wanted to go. I went because she wanted to meet Earth Suit. Whatever. Um, <laughs> wow. That, that, so. that sounds like it could be a disaster podcast all in itself. <laughs> the bus driver that day was 36... This is not... Boring. I just had it's, it to yawn there. It is tax season. It's tax season. It's also uh, we're being suffocated by the pollen. Yes, a little bit. It is kind of drowsy and drowsiness inducing. Yeah. yeah. Drowsy inducing? Sure. Know, anyway. That works. The bus driver that day was 36-year-old John Pierman. Or Pearman. P-E-A-R-M-A-N. How would you pronounce that? Pearman? Yeah. 
probably uh, Pearman, uh, who was a part-time associate pastor at the church, a Hardin County Circuit Court clerk. Wow, say that six times fast. And had about 20 years experience driving heavy lumber trucks and buses. So from like when he was 16. <laughs> he arrived at the church grounds around 6 a.m. that day with his 14-year-old daughter, Christy, and 13-year-old daughter, Cheryl. John's wife, Dottie, was usually a chaperone on the King's Island trip, ooh, but decided to stay behind with the couple's 11-year-old son, Robbie, who wasn't interested in going, Aww, something tells me that's going to mm-hmm. end. Well, it'll end well for... For Robbie. Yeah, but... Christy had invited 14-year-old Wayne Cox to be her guest that day, day and mentioned in a documentary about the crush that she had a big crush on him at the time. Oh, mm. remember being a long, young teenager and having crushes. I do, yeah. Oh, so cute. Uh, John and 34-year-old Charles Chuck Keita, a youth pastor at the church, conducted a pre-trip inspection of the bus that included putting water and antifreeze in the radiator, checking the fluid levels in the engine, checking the tires, checking the front suspension system, and checking the rear emergency door. That sounds pretty fucking thorough for, like, just a a church crew. I'm kind of impressed that they were pretty hardcore about Mm -hmm. trying to be safe. The other two chaperones that day were 34-year-old Joy Williams, the church's music director, and her friend, 45-year-old Janie Paget. She was the oldest person on the trip that day. Isn't it funny that, like, oh, 34-year-old, 36-year-old, 45-year-old, like, to the kids, they probably seemed ancient. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> to us now, they don't seem so ancient, right? Um, Joy had brought along her 14-year-old daughter, Kristen, 10-year-old daughter, Robin, and Robin's friend, 10-year-old Patricia, Patty, Nunnally, who had stayed over at the Williams house the night before so she could go on the trip. 63 kids in total were on the bus that day, ages ranging from 10 to 19, but the bus was not legally over capacity, so... Uh, The bus was originally scheduled to leave around 7.30 a.m., but didn't leave until 8 or 8.30 a.m. and arrived at Kings Island at around 11.40 a.m. Because you know when you're trying to get a fucking group of people to leave at a given time. It's never, yeah, it's never happening on time. No, no, no. To get off within an hour of, that's pretty good. (laughs) The church group left, okay, so they, they got at Kings Island, had the day at Kings Island, They left Kings Island at around 9.30 p.m., according to one survivor's account. Man, that's a long day. (laughs) Those kids were, like, uh, all hyped up on uh, cotton candy and then crashed. And uh, The kids brought on board stuffed animals, balloons, hats, bags of snack food, and at least four cans of hairspray. (laughs) Leanne said it was the 80s after all. (laughs) It was definitely Aquanet, too. There were also a few ice coolers on the bus for drinks. One had been put in the aisle near the emergency exit and was being used as a seat Mm -hmm. by 15-year-old Monica Obergon. Yeah, no matter what you do, if you've got a ton of kids, like one of them's going to be like, let me just sit on this cooler instead of a seat. But Most of the windows on the bus were down because it was warm inside. It was May, yeah, in Kentucky. Yeah, so it's still pretty cool or warm. Causing an oversized balloon uh, that 14-year-old Kieran Foran had bought at Kings Island to whip around wildly. So she had to put it in her lap and rested her head on it like a pillow. About an hour into the trip, the bus stopped to fill the 60-gallon or 227-liter fuel tank with gasoline. The thing probably ate fuel like nobody's business. Yeah, it got like, <laughs> it got like two miles a gallon. Right? Sure. <laughs> 
Chrissy Pearman got off the bus where she ran into her dad, who teasingly told her he was keeping an eye on her and Wayne Cox sitting together. She responded, oh, dad, and he played, oh, I don't like where this is going. This isn't going to go anywhere good. And he playfully gave her a noogie on the head. She said, love you, dad, and hopped back on the bus. And this was the last time she would ever see her dad. Mm. See, Leanne, I knew you were setting us up here. You uh, were setting us up. At least it was a good moment. Aw. Yeah, that that that's what you hope, right? That your mm-hmm. last last words are like "love you." Yeah. At ten fifty five p.m., the passengers on the bus were startled by a loud crash and a sudden jolt. Some hit the back of the seats in front of them, and fourteen year old Carrie Orrance, sitting sideways, was thrown to the floor. Mm-hmm. She described it like this: "Quote." It threw me out of my seat right into the aisle, so it ended up that I was sitting on the floor facing the back of the bus, and I had to brace myself with my hands behind me because we were skidding, and the right front of the bus was tilted downwards. And sounds like they're going down mm-hmm. something. What had happened was the bus had collided almost head on with a 1987, that's almost brand fucking new, Toyota 4x4 pickup truck going the wrong way. At about 50 to 55 miles per hour. Mm. The driver of the Toyota pickup was 34-year-old Larry Wayne Mahoney from Carrollton, who was later found to have had a blood alcohol level of 0. 0.24. Wow. 0.10 was the legal limit for drunk driving in Kentucky at the time. He later, 0.08 is pretty much nationwide Now, certainly now. Yeah. Oh, I so think that's, that's correct. That's three times the legal limit oh, of what geez. it is today. Of today, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, one of the tricky things, too, about blood alcohol levels is it can vary. <laughs> and it affects everybody For individuals, exactly. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure they arrived at 0.08 as like, like here's, like, like, let's be safe here. But that's not to say that, like, he could have been really fucked up at 0.24. I mean, it, it, just the fact that it's like triple legal limit now is pretty indicative of that. But man, he later admitted he had been drinking in a bar and at a friend's house prior to the collision. And police also found a 12 pack of Miller Lite beer in his truck, which was still cold and had several cans missing. Now I feel really fucking stupid about asking what we were drinking before we started. <laughs> I should have known that because I knew what this was about. That's a little silly. Well, people also know what our podcast is. Like, and that's and not... that we are going fucking nowhere tonight. No. We are si- staying in our homes. In our homes. We're in our homes. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> the pickup had appeared at a curve in the interstate, giving John Pearman no time to react, hitting them at the, at the front right-hand side where the main door was. The bus skidded to a halt as the pickup spun 90 degrees to the right, and while doing so, ooh, struck the left side of a 1977 Cadillac Sedan DeVille that had been heading in the same direction of the bus, causing damage to the back driver's door and vinyl roof, and sent it across the median. No one on the bus had been... Oh, wow. No one on the bus had been seriously injured by the collision itself. But it did cause... I know, it's it's just going nowhere good, Mm -hmm. right? But it did cause the bus's suspension to break off and drove the leaf spring backward into the gas tank mounted behind an exterior panel, but outside the heavier frame, just behind the step well for the front door, rendering the door inoperative. So no one's getting out the front door, which is mechanical anyway, right? Because they stop and, and pull it open. 
Yep. Leaking gasoline from the punctured fuel tank, or leaking gasoline from the punctured fuel tank, was ignited by sparks caused from metal parts of the suspension scraping along the road. As the seat covers and the highly flammable polyurethane foam Mm. padding ignited, the temperature inside the bus rose to an estimated 2,000 degrees Jesus Christ. Or 1,093 degrees Celsius. And a thick cloud of noxious smoke enveloped the area from the ceiling down to seat level within a minute or two, creating an unsurvivable flash fire, or creating unsurvivable flash fire conditions. Carrie Orrance recalled, just this huge, quote, just this huge whoosh, and I knew the bus was on fire. I could feel the heat behind me. I could see sort of an orange glow, and the only thing that kept running in my head was, alternately, I can't believe this is happening to me, and don't turn around. Yeah. Nearly, and this is mostly kids, too. God. Nearly all... no chance. Well, it's not sounding good. No. I mean, so death toll was 27, but Mm -hmm. there was like 68 people, so... That's more than I would have thought mm-hmm. survived, but man. Nearly all 67 occupants on the bus ran for the only working exit in the rear, except for John Pearman per- per- and Chuck Kaida, who is said by many... Let me make sure I'm getting that right. I kept the pronunciation up. I think it was Kaida. Kida, I'm sorry. Uh, Chuck Kida. Uh, who, ha- who said who was said by many survivors to have tried to douse the flames with the fire extinguisher on the bus. Oh, hmm. that must have been just like uh, pouring a little cup of water on a... Yeah. He, he, was, he was trying. Just, yeah. He was just... He was trying to... He probably felt like, I'm the driver. I'm responsible for these people. And was really trying to do something very, very heroic. Having opened the window shortly before the crash and being only five foot two inches tall or 158 centimeters, Janie Paget managed to squeeze out of the nine by 24 inch or 23 centimeters by 61 centimeters window opening. Damn. That, I mean, but I guess under conditions like that, if you can fucking do it, you're going to fucking do it. Damn. Uh, recalling her escape, Janie said, quote, all I could see was flames. They were getting higher and higher, and I could see John Pearman. He was the driver of the bus. I could see him kind of slumped over the steering wheel, and I could see the fire. He was like a silhouette in the orange and yellow flames, and the next thing I knew, I was on the ground outside the bus. And so I thought, I've got to look back, and I looked back, and my and my seat that I came out, the win- out of the window was engulfed in flames, unquote. Mm. She was the only chaperone to survive and one of the very few to escape serious injury who had been sitting in the first few rows. Mm. So the only adult to survive. Man. 16-year-old Tammy Darnell would later testify at trial that Chuck... Sorry. Kaida, right? Mm? Kida. I keep saying Kaida. Sorry. It's just spelled a little differently than what I would expect. Chuck Kida's final words standing in the flames were, quote... Lord, I'm coming home, end quote. Well, you know what? If if your religion can't give you comfort during horrible times, then what good is it? And mm-hmm. if it does give you comfort during those horrible times, Godspeed, as it were. 
Attempts by some of the other passengers to break or kick out any of the split sash type side windows were unsuccessful because they had been built to withstand Damn, 1,200 pounds or 544 kilograms of pe- pressure in case of a rollover. Oh, yeah. damn. I mean, that's, so, like, that makes sense. Part of the safety measures is what made them mm-hmm. not able to... Oh, that's oh, that's rough. In most other circumstances, it would have been a positive. But in this mm-hmm. case, it was a negative. Uh, 14-year-old Harold Dennis Jr. described the melee that quickly ensued when more than 60 people tried to get to the emergency exit. Oh, damn. This is going to turn into a crowd crush. Quote, it all happened very, very, very fast, very quickly, very chaotically. If you didn't react instantly, you weren't going to make it. I climbed seat after seat after seat. I fought people. I fought bodies. I fought everything I could to get to the back. End quote. Mm. This all created a crush of bodies in the 12 inch or 30 centimeter wide, wide aisle. Many passengers found themselves unable to move. I don't like this. I don't no. like any of this. This is like every possible disaster wrapped If there was a wrapped tornado and an earthquake, then we'd pretty much be there. And a nuclear incident. Oh, my God. Um, a beverage cooler, which had been earlier placed in the aisle near row 10 of uh, 11 rows of seats, further exacerbated this problem. Wayne Cox and Christy Pearman had been sitting near the back of the bus, so Wayne was able to get out quickly, but Christy had stayed on board longer because she was waiting for her father. Quote, I kind of remember that being so hot and finding myself in an aisle uh, way and turning towards the front to just yell for my dad. Dad, 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 she said. End quote. She said. She did eventually escape, but was severely burned on her hands and face. Mm. And then... Sorry, I kept this out for the... There's a couple of um, pronunciations that were a little tricky. This is Kieran. Sorry, I just want to get this right because I think she comes up again. Uh, And I just don't want to read the rest of this. Kieran. Okay. Um, Kieran Foran was one of the few to be severely injured in the back of the bus. The helium-filled oh, the helium-filled balloon she had been holding exploded in her lap, catching her on fire. Jesus. Uh, she described in the documentary her rescue and the realization of the extent of her injuries. Quote, The paramedics came over and was talking to me and told me exactly what was going to happen, that they were going to pick me up on three and they were going to put me on the stretcher and when they slid me into the ambulance, they put me beside a medicine cabinet type thing that had a reflection and I remember looking to the side and all I could see was this big black circle. But I couldn't see anything else. It just looked like this big black thing of trash and it was my face. Mm. Well, you know what? Leanne did give us a big fucking trigger warning. She was not kidding. Oh, geez. Carrie Arntz was one of the last people to escape the bus alive and one of the very few to survive who had been sitting at the front of the bus. She had passed out, collapsing face down in a seat and dreamed that she was on a roller coaster that kept turning her upside down. Quote, in the dream, I said, I've got to wake up. End quote, she said. Quote, I woke up. I distinctly remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Then something in me just started building and I just got mad and I just kept thinking, no, I'm not going to die on this bus. I am not. Somehow I just put my hands up on the seat back of the seat that I was crouched down in and I just used it like a pull up and I pulled my body up and I just fell over to the next seat, end quote. 
A fellow survivor, 13-year-old Jason Boer, described Carrie's rescue. Quote, and I'll never forget it the rest of my life. Because I turned back around after everybody had gotten out. It seemed like everybody was over attending to all the burn victims. And I turned around and I saw the back of the bus. I looked over my shoulder. I said, Cheryl, I'm assuming this was Cheryl Perriman, somebody's just dropped out of the back of the bus on the asphalt. So me and her ran over there and I said, now Cheryl, you grab this person's legs, I'll grab her hands, and we'll carry her over to the grass median with the rest of the burn victims. At the time, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. It ended up being Carrie Orance, but her hair was gone. The cartilage was, you know, she was severely burned. Of course, she had black soot all over, so I couldn't tell who it was. I bent down, grabbed Carrie's arms. Cheryl bent down and grabbed her legs, and all of a sudden, she she dropped her because she said, Jason, I can't do it. I said, Cheryl, just grab her legs real quick, and we'll carry her over there. And she said, no, you don't understand her. Her legs are too hot. Oh, God. So I cradled Carrie in my arms and took her over to the grass median. So at 13 years of age, to witness something like that was really devastating to me. End quote. These are children. These are children. Mm-hmm. Not only doing this, but, um, like, well, not only, like, going through this, but trying to save people. Trying yeah. to save their friends. Oh, God. Rescue arrived very quickly in part because a middle-aged couple, Jack and Joan Armstrong, had spotted Larry Mahoney driving the wrong way on Interstate 71 and followed him in the parallel lane for about 2.3 miles. Remember, this was 19... Or, and that's 3.7 kilometers. Remember, this was 1988, mm-hmm. and cell phones were a long ways from being ubiquity, ubiquitous, and car phones were very expensive to own. It was like uh, what, some of those 80s movies that you see the yeah. rich people it's own. Like a, it's like they're holding a mini fridge next to their head. <laughs> right? They, are, they were huge <laughs> back then. <laughs> um, during that 2.3-mile drive, according to the Armstrongs, Mahoney missed or passed 14 vehicles to... <sighs> Two of which were tractor trailers. This is very much like the uh, Taconic State Park Parkway. It is. Yeah. It is. If she had hit a bus mm-hmm. carrying like 60-some people. Jesus. Mm. Uh, when he hit the bus, the Armstrongs later told investigators they thought the pickup had hit a gas tanker truck due to the explosion. They stopped to help in part because Jack... Well, yeah, well, it was gas. It was a gas explosion, but it was just from the collision into the the bus uh, fuel tank. They stopped to help in part because Jack Armstrong had been a volunteer firefighter for 16 years, and others from nearby homes called the fire department and ran out to help. Sadly, the bus flashed over before the emergency vehicle arrived. Vehicles arrived. Trapping the remaining 27 people on board. Local firefighters and the Kentucky State Police showed up, put out the fire quickly, and helped treat and transport survivors to four lo- four, area lo- four area hospitals. The word local is not in there. I just wanted to say it for some reason. Kentucky's chief medical examiner, Dr. George Nichols, arrived from Louisville at about midnight. And he along... Can you imagine that job? No. Being the state medical examiner. Uh-uh. Like, at midnight... On, like, a random day, you're called and they're like, hey, so you have to go to mm-hmm. this horrific scene. Yeah, like, ah, like I, I don't think we need God. to speculate. It's just, That'd just be... Yeah. Yeah. You, you must love what you do and the fact that it is a civil service. That's all I can say. Um, 
And he, along with the Carroll County Coroner's Office, examined the interior of the bus, finding most of the bodies were burned beyond recognition. They decided to move the bus with the bodies still inside to the National Guard Armory in Carrollton after parents of the children on board and the news media began to show up so they could work in private and not show them the, quote, scene of absolute horror, end quote, inside the bus, as Dr. Nichols described it in the documentary. Now... I haven't been very good at showing pictures along the way. So this is the bus. Mm -hmm. Looks like a standard, slightly old school school bus, right? Um, And this is the kind of truck. Okay. The four by four that Mm -hmm. was being driven. Um, This, it's, I'm just showing you on the phone, so it's a little tricky to see. But see where the red Mm -hmm. words are? That was who died Mm -hmm. and green was who survived. So people near the front, which is probably where the fuel tank was, Mm -hmm. yeah. Or less uh, likely to live. Is this a scene? Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. much what I kind of pictured. Mm-hmm. This is the bus. Yeah. yeah. Um, scroll the phone. I think, I'm, I think I'm good on photos. Okay, the rest are not graphic. Okay. Um, well, uh, this is the bus well past the fire, so mm-hmm. it is done. Um, the victims. It's just It just looks like a fucking middle school yearbook, mm-hmm. doesn't it? From the 80s. It's so sad. Yeah. Around 11 p.m., news began to slowly trickle back to Radcliffe that the bus had gone to Kings Island that day. The bus that had gone to Kings Island that day had been involved in an accident, but no mention was made about how bad it was. The families of the passengers on board began to gather at Radcliffe First Assembly of God Church at first thinking they were going to be picking up their kids. Oh, that's true. They would have already been going, like, thinking that they were picking up their Because mm-hmm. they were expecting, they were going like, to around do. midnight or something, or 11 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but as news spread about the crash from the Kentucky State Police and the local news, they desperately began looking for which hospital their child was at. Those who were able to find out where their child was left to be with them, while others who had not received news remained behind at the church. A couple of hours later, a female police officer summoned the remaining families into the church sanctuary and told them that if their loved ones had not been found, that they would have to board vans and go up to Carrollton to assist in body identification. Mm, Jesus. Ominously enough, she said, quote, on the way up there, if you would write down, if you can remember what your son or daughter was last wearing, anything that's unusual, any jewelry, if you can remember and you don't have dental records where their cavities are, anything at all, end quote. We just need something. Is that, that's, I mean, that's. So they're basically saying your kid's dead mm-hmm. and now you have to remember and you have, enough well... to be able to identify them. And now you have to identify something that most likely, very likely, does not look like your offspring anymore. That's why we're asking about their jewelry. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? I don't. I don't no. we're not, we won't go no, there. We're not going to. We won't go there. Yeah. They were taken to a conference room at a nearby Holiday Inn in Carrollton, where Dr. Nichols would address them. Ugh. Another fun part of his job, I'm sure, was to talk to these people. Uh, it is part of his job, though. It is part of his job. You're absolutely right. He told them that they would not be allowed to see the bodies and that they should remember their children how they were in the pictures in their wallets and in their hearts. Removing and identifying the dead from the bus was a horrific ordeal, even for those who were experienced in dealing with death. You know, that that I, I like that the medical examiner is like, look, 
there's we're not gonna we're not gonna let you do this because you shouldn't because this should not be your last memory we're not gonna give you fucking nightmares that you're already gonna have anyway yeah you're already gonna be traumatized by this we're not gonna compound that in any let us bear the brunt of getting traumatized by this that's what we're paid to do and you know what that is a legitimate like um fucking horrific burden that first responders and people who deal with this stuff have to do to save other people the trauma they have to absorb it Mm -hmm. and that's there's not money enough in the world to do that. No. And it's horrible. And, that's, and, a, and, that's a real civil and service. And most of those people get paid dog shit anyway, mm-hmm. which is the even sadder thing. Right. It's like if anybody deserves to buy an island at the end of their <laughs> fucking career. Right. It, mm-hmm. You know. No shit. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. They Clearly, they they must feel a real um, calling to do that. Like I mean, they. I'm, I'm sure there is rampant that. PTSD in those professions, I too. I wouldn't be surprised. The Carroll County Deputy Coroner Steve Meadows recalled later, quote, we'd work for 15 minutes and then sit on the armory floor and cry and have a cup of coffee and then get on the bus bus and work some more, end quote. Mm. Dental records helped identify 23 of the victims. Two were identified by other physical characteristics. Joy Williams, for example, by being the only adult female still on the bus and by two personal effects. By, uh, oh, and two by personal effects like jewelry. Yeah, I guess that's true. That mm-hmm. if there was only Any, one adult, anything. Man. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. they were asking for on the like. Is there something? Yeah. That would help us. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't realize that. You know, I think they probably thought that like we're gonna have to do this. I was like, no, no, no. Like you're, you you're gonna us. give us some specifics, and you we'll tell us, and we'll, we'll, apply we'll that see if those match up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. Autopsies on all 27 of the victims were completed by the next evening. Jesus, that's fast. I mean, I, I imagine... It wasn't much could, of an autopsy to do. That's probably true, but that's <laughs> a mean, lot of shit that they had to get done real yeah. quick. And, and it was probably all hands on deck, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there are other people coming in from other counties. Other I'm sure jurisdictions. That, and I wouldn't be surprised if the state maybe sent people Well, it was too. a state medical examiner. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like other facilities on top of I that. I gotcha, yeah, probably. To, mm-hmm. I mean, this is just fucking mm-hmm. horrible. And the day after that, Nichols told a press conference that the victims had all died from smoke inhalation. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Well, here's the thing. That wasn't entirely true. Yeah. But Nichols later stated that it was, quote... Easier for parents not to think of their ch- that Fuck think yeah. their child was alive and burning. End quote. You know what? They're gonna think of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And at least I have no problem. I don't either. With the official record saying one thing, and then in the press the reality conference, being... uh-huh. because it wasn't mm-hmm. because this isn't a criminal; it's an accident. Mm-hmm. Like if it wasn't a criminal investigation, you're changing those now, things around. That's that's one. Now thing. drunk driving is a crime. No, no, no I understand. But, but it's not murder or right. Yeah, the act itself was an accident. There was nothing deliberate. Right. This man didn't think he wanted to go no. kill these 27 people. You're right. So to give people the slight solace of, you know hey, what? they died of smoke inhalation. Like, they they were dead before any of this happened. They didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. You know what? I would say, yes, please lie to me. Yeah. If some, uh, to, yep, yep. Help me sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm already not going to. Right. Right. Exactly. So. Oh, man. Uh, aftermath for Radcliffe and the survive Radcliffe and the survivors. 
The crash devastated Radcliffe and reverberated at nearby nearby Fort Knox as many of the victims came from military families stationed there. Sure, I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. A memorial service held days after the crash at a football stadium drew about 6,000 mourners. There is, a, there is a real thing to the idea of a community in mourning, too. You know, like... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's what's we, the grin for? Well, because we, we missed our chance on that this past year, didn't we? Oh, you mean just, yeah? We should have nationally been a community in mourning, Mm -hmm. and we weren't. Well, you know, ironically, I feel like we are. (laughs) Or maybe I should say that got delayed. I don't know. But I think we're going to suffer a national PTSD from this shit. Yeah, it was was missing a serious opportunity to bring the country together in a positive way. You're right about that. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest fallout. A community building opportunity yeah. that was missed. You're and right. It, and mm-hmm. it should have been so easy. Yeah. It could have been. Could have been. So easy. You're right. You're right. Um, well, fortunately, it sounds like this community had the mm-hmm. opportunity to do that, which is good. The Hardin County Board of Education closed all eight of the schools in the district the following Thursday and Friday, as most of the funerals would be held on those days, and brought in a large number of grief counselors, some from Fort Knox. You know what? Back in the 80s, that is really progressive. I'm actually kind of surprised. That's really progressive. I'm, I'm impressed by that. At the same time, not again... Uh, Vietnam's not that long ago in right. 1988, and I think that's I think that's when they started to be like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the whole shell shock thing, and just mm-hmm. get over it. That's not really working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we need to. And these are children. Yeah, mm-hmm. largely. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe we need to do something else. Right. A little bit. Many of the students also acted as pallbearers at the funeral. Jesus, home. fuck no, no, fuck that. <laughs> I was I was a pallbearer for the first time when I was twenty nine years old, and, and that's, pr- that's still probably felt too early. That's young enough, yeah. yeah, right. The survivors' injuries ranged from bruises and scratches, probably sustained in the scramble to get out, mm-hmm. to life altering burns and inhalation injuries. Uh, Kieran Foran described her injuries in the documentary. Quote. I was burnt about 67% of my body, all third degree. My right hand was burnt to the bone. My fingers, the tendons, everything were gone. My vocal cords sustained a lot of heat damage and I had to have a tracheotomy. Oh, sorry, tracheostomy for about a year and a half and had 14 surgeries alone on my voice box and my vocal cords. Hmm. Aww. Oh, this is major trigger warning for this next sentence about how shit kids can be. She later said kids at school called her Freddy Krueger and Crispy Critter. Oh, Jesus Christ. Because kids can be heart- heartless assholes like that. <laughs> okay. okay. Christ. Oh, man. That sounds like kids being fucking... That's just, yeah. Kids, right? Again, again, Which is this, evil. Again, this is also Reagan's America. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, mm, God, that's awful. That is really awful. I wonder if to... For some... I mean, because these are children. If these were adults, that'd be another thing. But these are children... I wonder if that was a way for them to try and separate themselves from what happened and how horrible it was. And I hope in the worst possible. Because when way. you're 12, you do dumb things you do that you're not that you're not thinking of. Shit. I hope in later on in their lives they look back on that. It was like, hey, with shame, I need, to, I need to reach out to this person or whatever and apologize and and just say that I was a heartless asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my god. One of the most devastating things she said about how the crash... Oh, jeez. How the crash affected her was, quote, 
I was a nerd before the wreck, and I was a monster after. Mm. Harold Dennis Jr. suffered third-degree burns on his face and recalled how painful the treatment for the burns was. Oh, my God. No kidding. I mean, you know, we talk about, burn, like... Burn treatment is still... It just, is still. It, there's not is, a ton this of... Is, this is 33 years ago. You're absolutely right. Like, there's nothing that can make it no, better is the it's problem. Just because you've lost, like, a huge part of your biggest organ, and, your skin. And it's nerve yes. endings and just... That's what your skin is protecting. Yes. The, you know? And yes. It's, and it, uh, when that's gone... Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, God. And the thing is, we talk so much about, like, um, hoping people don't suffer in their death, but then survivors go through this life. shit, too. Oh, my God. Sometimes forever. Like, for the rest of their lives, basically. I'm sure most of these people forever from that day yeah. on. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Um, He recalled how painful the treatment for bur- the burns was, quote, crying was a daily thing. Dreading anybody walking in my door that wasn't family, unquote. He later had to wear a pressure garment on his face and body to help his burns and skin grafts say. heal. Yep. We will talk about that in a future, um, more recent uh, disaster. That's definitely on my list. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. Uh, which brought him a lot of unwanted attention and bullying at school. Can you imagine having to, oh no. my God, fucking go to school after all that shit? I don't know. I feel like the Department of Education should give you like just a hall pass to say like, I feel you like get a I... doctorate degree, you get any job you want. We'll train you on the job. No well, more even, education required. Even at, I don't know. Even at this time, I, I, I feel like... Like, there should have been money in the budget for, okay, we're just going to... So you don't have to go through the mm-hmm. trauma of going to school. Private tutor. We're going to send you a private tutor every day for as long as you need it. Yep. And if it takes and, you into your adulthood to finish, then so be you, it. Get, you get no problem. We'll pay I mean, for again, all your that's, expenses. I mean, that's... I, I can't imagine. There's not enough compensation no. for somebody who has to go through something no. like this. There's just not. There's not a dollar amount ever. No. Because it's not about a dollar amount. Oh, and and no dollar can and take that, and away that's, what happened. And that's that's something like going through child. That's that's something you're never gonna. That's gonna stay with you forever. Oh yeah. So yeah. Imagine how much like little things stick with you from I know. your childhood. Yeah. yeah. Much less this. Mm. Carrie Orange suffered third degree burns over sixty percent of her body and fourth degree burns on her right. Fourth degree burns on her right leg. I'm not sure I knew I didn't know that, that, that there was, was anything beyond, beyond third. Jeez. The doctors ended up having to amputate her right leg below the knee twelve days after the crash. The girl who had invited Carrie on the trip in the first place, Emily Thompson, died in the crash. Chrissy Perman eventually learned from her mother as she recovered from her burns in the hospital that her father didn't make it. Christy later required 10 operations and was unable to speak for two months. All right. Larry Mahoney. This is the guy who mm-hmm. drove the truck. Yeah. It, um, I know. Mm. It was discovered that Larry Mahoney had previously been arrested for drunk driving back in 1984, was fined $300, and had his driver's license suspended for six months. Although the NTSB's report noted 1984 was also the same year that Mahoney had declared bankruptcy, oh Jesus, due to substantial medical bills from treating his daughter's spina bifida, which is a condition associated with malnutrition during the mother's pregnancy. And spina bifida is no fucking joke. Yeah. Again, that's a lifelong thing. Like that's not really something you're getting over. This is one of those horrible stories of just everybody suffering. Oh, 
You know what? Yeah, I wonder why he was drinking so much. Mm. It's His life was a piece of cake. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mahoney said he had no memory of the crash, which is entirely possible since his blood alcohol level <laughs> yeah. was so high. Yeah. And he said to a journalist in 1989, quote, it was like a bad nightmare, and it still is. I felt like it was a nightmare, really. I kept telling myself, wake up. I've got to wake up. But I never did, and I still haven't, end quote. You know, that's where sometimes doing a disaster podcast over doing a true crime podcast, you know, you can look at a true crime situation and point to, like, the murder or whatever and say, you piece of shit. Like, it's easy to, like... Well, it's, it's easier to point out motivations. It is, in that, right? In that situation. This, this deliberate guy, decisions. This, this guy did not have the motivation to kill 27 people. No. He and... had the motivation to get himself so inebriated that he couldn't think anymore because he'd already been through enough shit. Like, that was his motivation. Like, he didn't think anything beyond that. And then made a really terrible decision mm-hmm. while inebriated, yeah. Oh, my God. He was indicted on July in July 1988 on 27 counts of yeah. murder. Oh, of, okay. Murder. Mm-hmm. Okay, so not manslaughter. Mm-mm. 12 counts of first-degree assault, probably for the in- some of the injured people. 42 counts of wanton endangerment and one of drunken driving, his second offense. He pleaded not guilty. I mean, frankly, I get it because... Not like it matters. And bail was set at $270,000, $10,000 for every death in the crash. Prosecutors initially said they planned to seek an indictment for capital murder charges. That means fucking death penalty. Yes, it does. But decided later not to file those charges. You know what? I am anti-death death penalty, period. I am. Yes, I am at this point. But especially as a result of murder charges, okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm not necessarily gonna gonna fight you on that, but to death penalize him. My thing is, like, I mean, there was a time when I was like, yeah, I'm for it. Like, I, mm-hmm. but at this point, it's like, if even one person has gone through that where they weren't guilty and, and, we, know and we know it's happened we know it's happened to many more than so one person many more you but know the state has murdered people who yes. did not just deserve yeah. any such thing oh, yeah. even by these standards sometimes let's face it sometimes like through <clears throat> conspiracy and shit intentionally mm-hmm. but yeah i but mean this, that's like a literal the, negligence up the fucking wazoo whatever yes. you want to call it but if you want to charge him with 27 counts of murder i'm i'm if okay you with that him away for life i get I'm it i'm fine with that kill him yeah. that's another story I, to, I don't know killing him would actually do him a favor probably it like really, to it, it really would deal with the, it really uh, would yeah mm-hmm. so anyway they did not they did not uh, the, not that i'm not that i'm him. meaning because this is an accident right not that and, you're and meaning now, that he should feel and, like and now that we know his background like, it'd be one thing if he was just, like, a career criminal or whatever. That'd be one thing. No, again, this was, it's a... This was just some dude that had a hard life, lived a hard life, and other people bore the brunt of it, unfortunately. But it was an accident. Yeah. It was established that Mahoney had worked a 12-hour shift the previous night from 7 p.m. on May 13th to 7 a.m. on May 14th and slept about five hours that day. I don't know anything about that. I was going to say that sounds kind of funny, (laughs) doesn't it? Oh, man. He had been seen by multiple witnesses drinking throughout the day, although he did not appear inebriated to them. Uh, And you know what? That's another important thing to note, that just because someone doesn't seem drunk doesn't mean they aren't drunk. 
Around 7.30 p.m. that evening, he went to a friend's house where they had pizza and beer until 8.30 p.m. when he went to another friend's house, later going on to yet another friend's house at 9 p.m. So he was really bopping around. It was at 9 p.m. that Mahoney's friend said he got out of his pickup truck truck with a beer in his hand and was noticeably drunk. Well, your first clue is somebody getting out of their car with an open container. Who was driving? Who was driving the car? That's exactly. Well, yes, that, like a, that is if correct. It's a passenger getting out with an open container, it's like, ah, eh, eh. Well, it's still a bad idea. It, it it's is illegal, illegal in most, spa- most states. I, I think, think it's illegal. Okay, everywhere. just period. No yeah. open containers. Yeah. No. Um, it's, in it's, fact, it's not a. It's it's not my uh, grade school trips to Myrtle Beach with my, with my dad drinking like <laughs> oh, a Jesus drinking Christ. like a six pack on the way down. <laughs> oh my god! You know we laughed, and that wasn't even and that wasn't even frowned upon. It was we just laugh, like, but this shit is was, was so fucking like, dangerous. It was just like that's just that's what your dad does on oh a god. on an eighteen hour road trip. Oh my god! He gets god. slightly. Nope. You know what you do? You don't have the fucking kids in the first place, so then you don't have to take the fucking drive with them in the car. That's what I say. Oh, geez. Uh, no, I, I've been super... As a driver, I've always been super paranoid even. I've um, uh, carried partial bottles of liquor, you know, like literally not having drunk any, but like transporting like a half oh, a I bottle of something. Yeah put it in the fucking trunk because that's what they say you're supposed to do that in the path in the cab of a vehicle at least in the state of north carolina you're not supposed to have anything open sure so i put it in the or that has been opened that's what i mean yeah yeah Yeah, not that it's literally open Mm -hmm. but like it could have the cork in it or whatever but yeah you put it in the fucking trunk don't need any part of that one friend testified that Mahoney said he wanted to go see a friend of his who lived about 50 miles or 80 kilometers away, but the friend took his car keys away from him saying he figured Mahoney would go to jail for drunk driving. Okay, so somebody tried to intervene here. The friend retur- oh, returned the keys to Mahoney 45 minutes later when he promised he would go straight home. Mm. We know, of course, that he didn't. No. Mm. Mahoney's defense attorney pointed out that the bus was not up to... Fa- uh, I mean, I get it. Okay, you know what? Yeah, a ter- defense attorney has to do what they have to do. to try something. It's not trying anything. It's literally doing their mm-hmm. job, which is to, to try and get their client acquitted or the best deal possible. I, I think most defense attorneys in this instance going into a case like this are like, I'm going to lose... It's, I need to mitigate this. I need to minimize the damage for my client as much as possible. Yes. Yes, like, exactly. Like, like, I'm not winning this case. I And I need <laughs> to take any tack I can to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um... Uh, all right defense that the bus was not up to federal motor vehicle standards due to the month and year it was completed i and leanne's gonna go deeper into detail about this in a bit and none of the victims died as a result of the actual collision itself okay fair enough however because of the collision (laughs) it none of it would have happened if it weren't for the collision in Carrollton, there was a there was considerable oh there was considerable public support for mahoney where locals said he was a hard worker who'd go out of his way to help others. I guess. I mean, I guess you have community. I, I don't, and I and I don't. Support. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Um, like I said, and like we we said earlier, there doesn't seem to be. I think we're both sympathetic mm-hmm. for this person. He just yes. he just made a serious mistake, and it 
a terrible choice. Uh, Crowds gathered outside of his trial, some holding signs with messages like, Larry, we love you. You are not a murderer. Okay. I, I also get that the actual murder charges could probably feel extreme to some people. And Larry, our prayers are with you also. One of the survivors of the crash said Mahoney reminded him of his own father who had battled drug addiction and alcoholism. And he said, quote, he didn't wake up that morning saying I'm going to kill 27 people, end quote. That is some damn higher level thinking there when you're able to get fucking fucked up from something and look at the person who fucked you up and say, I'm going to look at it from their point of view. Like that's Mm -hmm. like that's some next level enlightenment to be able to do that. That's that's amazing. Others were furious at him and wanted him to suffer like his actions had made them suffer. (laughs) No no problem there. I get that. I can get, I can understand that. In one of the few moments when he spoke in public, Mahoney said, quote, I know that y'all been wanting me to say something and tell you I'm sorry. And that's what I've been wanting to do. But I've been told not to say anything. So I want you to know that I really am sorry. And you know what? Good on him. He he was told don't keep your, shut, yeah. keep your mouth shut. And he, and he still apologized. That's for his for for his tail to be on the line and him still be being willing to well, say because him because him saying I'm sorry yeah. is admitting it. It is. It is. So. And while pleading not guilty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In December 1989, he was convicted of 27 counts of manslaughter in the second degree. I think I think that's I honestly think that's more appropriate. Murder is awful rough. Yeah. For, to say yeah that that's because because murder to me comes with intention. Intention premeditation. Mm-hmm. I get that he had a previous offense. Yes. But mm, nobody goes out thinking that they're going to kill 27 people, that's for sure. Yeah, unless, uh, you're, unless you're the president of the United States. And then you kill a <laughs> kill few more hundred than thousand. That. <laughs> like 27. And that's just domestic. They're, they're like, that's by 8 a.m. Like, Jesus Christ, no fucking Got to meet our breakfast quota. Mm. Uh, so 27 counts of manslaughter in the second degree, 16 accounts of assault in the second degree, and 27 counts of wanton endangerment in the first degree. And he was sentenced... I, I agree with all of that. Me too. He was sentenced. He was sentenced to sixteen years in prison. During, yeah, you know what? There's. Uh, I don't even know how you judge that. How how you? Ju- I'm sure that was due to like state statutes and stuff. I don't know how you say how much is enough. Like literally, I, I have no idea. I wouldn't know what to do. During his incarceration, Karen For- Foreign wrote him a letter saying she felt very torn by all this anger she felt at him for the pain he had caused her, but that she couldn't hate him because it wasn't who she was and that she had forgiven him. You know, it, it, that's the, the old adage that, you know, um, holding something against somebody hurts you more than it hurts them, you know, mm-hmm. and for your own health, health and growth, you need to let it down. So again, good honor for being mature enough to say that and do that. They struck up a correspondence, and despite her parents' disapproval, she visited Larry in prison and described him in the documentary as, quote, he was a country boy that made a mistake, unquote. Mahoney earned his GED. Uh, he only had a 10th grade education. He attended Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and was described as a model prisoner. He was eligible for parole after serving six years due to Kentucky's good behavior laws, but he declined the parole board's recommendation and served ten and a half years in prison. 
and was released on parole in September of 1999. You know what? I feel like that's an integrity move. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm giving him more credit than he's due, but I don't know. I feel like that's... If you're given an out and you say... It also could have been, um, I've had a more successful life in prison. It could be. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Like I, I've getting, cleaned up my act I'm in getting, prison. I'm getting three I'm meals a day. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I've got a job because when you when you work in, when you're in prison, you work. You have a job. Everybody Maybe he does. Was afraid of what would happen if he got out. That that's that's that very to possible. A lot of people. It's mm-hmm. very possible. Yeah. He has never spoken publicly about the crash and was described in a 2003 newspaper article as living in quiet, self-imposed obscurity. About 10 miles or 16 kilometers from the crash site. Some of the victims said they had forgiven Mahoney because hating him wouldn't change what happened and would only eat them up inside. Others said they still felt anger at him when reminded of their disabilities the crash caused. I don't think Rightful, there's a wrong... Rightfully so. I don't think there's a wrong reaction. Mm. Like, whatever. Like, you're entitled to your feelings exactly as as they are. Like fucking moral conundrums on top of shit, and we have like four pages of them. <laughs> Leanne, you're so good, but this is so long. <laughs> this is yeah. This is a long this and is... morose one, yes. Leanne. You're so good at being horribly morose. <laughs> is it okay if we end it right there? <laughs> no, hopefully it's no, getting a little better. I, I hope so. Oh, well, this is this is going to be interesting. Investigation and safety changes. An investigation was conducted by state and federal investigators into the... Do you notice I'm speaking a little faster? Into the crash, and it was found that there was a huge loophole in how the bus in the crash was constructed and what federal law mandated for fuel tanks with the emergency exits and exit aisles in school buses and the number of emergency exits required for school buses and on other types of buses. In 1974, Congress passed, and then President... 74 would have been... uh, It wasn't Nixon anymore. Mm. Who succeeded him? Yeah. My God. (laughs) That guy. Him. Gerald Ford. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Signed into law the School Bus Safety Amendments of 1974, which itself was an amendment to the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act of 1966. These amendments required that school bus safety standards had to be upgraded, including a fuel tank guard, wider exit aisles, and wider emergency exits. Uh, Congress gave school bus manufacturers two years to meet those standards, so 1976. Yeah, if you're trying to do that legislation in 2021, it's called uh, Marxism, Communism, (laughs) Socialism, Stalinism. Like, if you want to make a bus kids uh, safer for kids. Like, no, we're not having any of that. If they die in a fire, they die in a fire. Bus Shapiro. Ben Shapiro would agree with that statement. I was just thinking of buses. I like Bus Shapiro. That's like the twin brother that he ate, like when they were in the womb together. Like in he his head. His yes. Twin. Like Bus Shapiro is really who you see, like on on YouTube. Ben Shapiro lives like a fulfilling life. You know, I'm now just going to continually refer to him as Bus Shapiro. (laughs) I think we can go somewhere with that. Jesus. These amendments. Oh, I already said that. 
Uh, the Ford Motor, Com Motor Company had plenty of time to upgrade their school buses for the new safety standards and even built a model school bus with the fuel tank guard. But another bill was passed and signed into law delaying the standards effective date to April 1st, 1977. This was built March 23rd. 1977. Wow, they like just got it in. Eight days <laughs> prior. And either out of laziness or cheapness, Ford continued to produce their chassis as they had before, up until the very last moment possible. Apparently, because of the body of the bus's official oh sorry, apparently because the body of the bus's official build date was nine days before the official upgrade date. The entire bus was legally allowed into use under the old Sure, because there's like a grace period. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Putting the fuel guard around the tank would have cost extra, and probably the school district that bought the bus would not have wanted to spend their budget money on something that was optional, so to speak. You know, safety is optional at this juncture. A sales manager involved in the Kentucky school bus supply chain had actually sent out memos telling their purchasers that prices would rise for orders after April 1st, 1977. They were using this as a fucking sales tool. One of those memos said, quote, it certainly behooves your, your good customer to buy buses immediately because of the above extra requirements that will increase the cost, end quote. Are they really above extra requirements? Friends. But who is buying those buses? It's not like a civilian is buying. It's literally it's school. counties. And it's school. Yeah. yeah. So they were telling salespeople to push, press these counties saying, yeah. hey, and, and you know what? They're probably like, um, they were not saying anything about like, this is, this will make these buses safer. Like it says above extra requirements. They're like, look, they pass these rules that are like, you know, like, nothing's going to happen with these. They want to make things, like, safer and shit. <laughs> like, we can't have that. Right? <laughs> but, no, I'm sure they could easily... You're a salesperson. Sell me on April 1st. This model's going to be a hell of a lot safer for the kids on the bus, but it's cheaper if I buy it earlier. Sell me on it. I'm not prepared to do that. Okay. Like, like, <laughs> I, like I'm still, I'm still fucking creepy. traumatized with this whole goddamn incident. I'm not I know. Being, I'm not, I hear you. I'm not selling a bus right now. Fair enough. Yes. But I, I could if you if you gave me time to think about it. it I trust me, I could. I know. I'm sure you could. It was also later discovered that school buses at the time were not legally required to have as many emergency exits as a regular bus, even though the NTSB had been calling on school buses to have more exits since 1968. So hypothetically, a, reg a regular church use bus would have been required to have more emergent have more emergency exits than a school bus. The victims' families filed civil lawsuits against the manufacturers of the bus, including Ford and the Scheller Globe Co Corporation, the parent company of the Superior Coach Company, who completed the bus's construction. Most of them quickly accepted a settlement, which was announced just seven weeks after the crash. $750,000, which in current money is one about $1.66 million, okay. uh, was paid out for each of the 24 children killed and much more than that for each of the three adults who died. Okay, that's a little weird. Okay. 
I guess I guess grown-ups are worth more. I mean, financially well, speaking, they are. You, you, I guess you, you've made that statement before. But future earning potential—they actually have longer. So, that was weird. It's so fucking weird to talk about humans and dollars because it's just fucking fucked up. Okay, they also paid out. <laughs> What's uh, fucked up about it is it's an actual metric. It's too. all fucked up. Sixty-three thousand dollars, or uh, currently about one hundred forty thousand, was paid to each uninjured or only slightly injured passenger, and payments varying with the severity of injury to those more severely hurt. Um, so, I guess it, it ranged between those numbers. In addition, $1,920,000, or about $4.27 million today, was entrusted to plaintiff's attorneys as a fund to cover unforeseen future medical expenses sure. of some of the more gravely injured survivors. Sure, because some of these people that's have definitely coming surgeries down the for ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finally, as a, quote, a lasting monument, end quote, to the crash victims, Ford and Scheller Globe agreed to jointly contribute half a million dollars, or about $1.1 million today, to an as-yet-undetermined fund to fight drunk driving. And the money ended up uh, going to MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Sure. The total settlement well exceeded $40 million, which today is about $88.9 million, so almost nearing $90 million. Two families refused to take the settlement. The Nunnallys, who lost their 10-year-old daughter, Patty, and the Fairs, who had lost their 14-year-old daughter, Shannon. They wanted Ford's pre-1977 buses to be taken off the road and upgraded to the post-1977 buses. Both families settled with Scheller Globe for $1.3 million, which is close to $3 million today, and eventually came to a settlement with Ford, whereby the company would admit no wrongdoing, sure. but would pay each family... Oh my God, Leanne, you did so much research on this. Thank you. That sounded like a complaint, but thank you. <laughs> but would pay each family $5 million, or about $11 million today. Larry Mahoney wasn't mentioned much in the civil lawsuits because he probably, he was probably what plaintiff attorneys would call judgment proof, meaning he had no money or assets to garnish. Sure. Yeah. So on a civil level, there's, nothing. there's no point, reason point, to go after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be a moral victory, not a, mm-hmm. a financial one. And frankly, I mean, it, it's way easier and way more understandable to go after a fucking corporation for of course. any of this stuff. All right. Changes due to the crash. Kentucky now requires all school buses to have nine emergency exits. <laughs> Damn, that's a lot. More than any other federal or state standard. This includes front and back doors, a side door, four emergency windows, and two roof exits. Sure. Buses used by Kentucky schools must also have a cage around the fuel tank, a stronger frame and roof to resist crumpling on impact and rollover, high back seats, extra seat padding, a fuel system that slows leaks, flame retardant seats and floors, reflected tape on all emergency exits, an 8-inch or 20-centimeter wide black band with the district name in white letters on the side, and strobe lights on the exterior. Damn, I guess if you're going to ride a school bus... Ride it in Kentucky. It Damn sounds... socialist. <laughs> Schools also. But, but think, but, but think about why you need all of those things. Yeah. You need all of those. That should be a basic baseline <laughs> for yeah. everybody. It should be like understood. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, like I need a key to get into my house. Right. Like we need the strobe lights on the. On and the we need bus. we need the specific lettering mm-hmm. in case the thing is in flames, so we can identify. 
where who it's coming is this? from. Yeah, where is this from? Mm-hmm. And we need nine exits because you need nine exits. Because you need to get out of this just fucking be- thing. Just because. Yep. Like it's mm-hmm. not a. Like who's Does gonna have be- to be justified? Who's gonna be the guy? Like, like I think justified. we should shrink that down to eight. Right. You know it's. Well, you know there were people. Of course there <laughs> I'm were. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're Some, fucking lobbyists. Somebody's literally making that argument. Yeah. Like, it's going to cost us an extra $10,000 if we have nine exits. You know? We can, I mean, we can afford a few people to yeah. die, which is what this shit that's, comes down that's to. What they're, that's what they're... Mm-hmm. Ah, schools also must have a diesel-powered fleet. Unlike gasoline, diesel fuel is not highly flammable. I didn't know yes, that. That is very true. That's very interesting. It's not that it's not. No, no, no. It's, it's not, not as, as flammable like, as gasoline as is fucking... Is it because of the <laughs> ethanol content or something? I'm not sure what it is, but there mm. is... But I, I remember... That's interesting. Uncle Carl being like, mm. this is the gasoline, this is the diesel. Oh, yeah, you can't mix them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And explaining, like... Oh, the differences. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good old Uncle Carl. Mm-hmm. Oh, Uncle Carl. Carl. <laughs> He's so proud right now. Uncle Carl would be very <laughs> proud of my pronunciation just then. Uncle Carl would understand and appreciate that pronunciation, would he not? He would. Especially six years ago. <laughs> I met Uncle Carl seven years ago. Jeez, oh, my God, it has been. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's right. In 1991, Kentucky enacted stricter drunk driving laws like lowering the legal limit for being drunk behind the wheel of a motor vehicle to 0.08, like Mm. you were saying. Many of these bus safety and drunk driving laws were adopted by many other states and into federal law. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, the NHTSA, later issued directives that required the fuel tank on school buses to be placed at the rear of the bus between the metal chassis... That school buses use less flammable diesel gas, that seat material on buses have low flammability level. Imagine just making a bus out of less flammable material. And required buses to have a combination of window exits, ceiling exits, and front and rear exits that amount to four in total. So at least they increase the number. Today, school buses are considered among the safest vehicles on the road, as children are 70 times more likely to get to school safely when taking a bus instead of a car. Sure. According to the NHTSA. There are not the same regulations. There's not the same regulations in a car. That's right. No way. Your car does Mm -hmm. not have to be. uh, It's also a smaller vehicle. To a degree, it has to be uh, flammable proof. Mm-hmm. But not in the same way that a bus has to I be. I bet a big part of it. I mean, all of the all of this is important, but also it's a larger vehicle. Yeah. So. Um, I don't love them on the interstate mm-hmm. because they only drive fifty five. But at least they stay in the right. They, they do, do stay in the right lane. They at do. least here they do. The crash also brought a national spotlight on how big a problem drunk driving was, spurring legislation, education, and Mm. awareness programs across the country, and has been credited in part with causing the steady decline in the number of alcohol-related fatalities. The number of deaths from drunk drivers has fallen sharply from more than 18,000 alcohol-related driving fatalities in 1988 to more than 10,000 in 2016, according to the NHTSA. So that's over there. That's... Near half mm-hmm. of the, I still shit. Ton, that's still, <laughs> still way not, more not than great. I thought. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, it's better, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. 
As one could imagine, the bus crash affected everyone involved in many different ways. Many of the survivors and rescue workers suffered from PTSD and survivor's guilt. The medical examiner at the scene recalled talking to his brother-in-law on the phone a few weeks after the crash and suddenly breaking down sobbing for 30 minutes. He also said watching his kids get on the school bus in the morning gave him panic attacks. Fuck yeah. One of the state police officers that responded that night was diagnosed with PTSD after thinking he was having a heart attack. Unfortunately, in 2010, he was also arrested for driving drunk. Mm. Because what's one thing that a lot of people do to cope with trauma? Mm. You drink. Yeah. Some family members... I have to look up. I don't know why I cannot... Kata. It's Kata, not Kaida. Yes. Uh, Some family members of the deceased self-medicated too. Yeah. The son of the youth pastor, Chuck Kaida, who died on the bus, Charlie Kaida III, oh, Kaida, uh, so his dad died on the bus. Charlie Kaida III died in 2010 at the age of 32 when a driver under the influence of multiple prescription medications, including Xanax and Am- Xanax, yeah, Xanax, <laughs> know why it suddenly looked weird to me. You know when words suddenly look weird? You've never anyway. seen it spelled out. Yes. And Ambien crashed into him. Oh, oh so he was a victim of that. Oh, my God. Ugh. Others threw it's, them... It's just a circle. It, it, Jesus. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing to remember, too. There's a lot of shit that can be influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, driving under the influence is not just booze. Other threw the, others threw themselves into activism and rebuilt their lives in unique ways. The mother of Patty Nunnally, Carolyn Nunnally, and the mother of Shannon Fair, Jeannie Fair, became involved with MAD, with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, served on their national board, and eventually were elected to serve as their national president and vice president for a short term. Harold Dennis Jr. went on to play football at the University of Kentucky, and according to his website, was awarded the Arit Award for Courage in Sports, the Gene Autry Award for Courage in Sports, and the Johnny Unitas Courage Award in Sports. And I am going to open the pictures because I'm a little bit behind, but there is a pretty cool picture there. Oh, this is the um, this is the memorial where 6,000 people okay. attended, a couple of the funerals. Mm-hmm. Um that is uh, Mahoney, okay. Larry Mahoney. Um, unfortunately, his uh, his driver's it's his it's driver's license mm-hmm. photo. Unfortunately, um, his hat says "Ride Hard, Die Hard." Oh, just 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 an unfortunate coincidence there. Oh, this is uh, Kieran Fornan meeting him, Larry okay. Mahoney. Uh, this is the the um, upgrades to buses made, but bus safety. Uh, this is, uh, Carolyn Nunnally during her mad presidency. Uh, aw, Carrie Arntz, now grown and Mm -hmm. happy with her husband and son. This is Harold Dennis Jr. with Johnny Unitas. Okay. So he got the Johnny Unitas Mm award and he got to meet Johnny Unitas. And with his kids, two of his kids who are adults now. Hmm. Um, all right. I think that kind of catches us up there. Uh, so that was uh, Johnny Unitas <laughs> reminded me of that. He was, uh, so this is still talking about Harold Dennis Jr. He was chosen to run the Olympic torch relay during the 96 Olympics in Atlanta and shared his story on the Montel Williams show, Sally Jesse Raphael, ESPN Sports Center, CBS This Morning, People Magazine, and Sports Illustrated. He is now married with three children, and according to his Twitter, his son now plays football at the University of Kentucky. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Carrie Orrance is now an oncology nurse in Yorktown, Virginia, and is married to a man she met at a burn survivors conference and has a 10-year-old son. Quentin Higgins now works as a bus driver for the Hardin County School District and said it's a rewarding job, although he does have days when he's refueling the bus and it causes him to break down sobbing. Yeah, talk about facing your demons. Mm -hmm. He purchased a 1977 Ford B700 school bus and turned it into a memorial to those who died in the crash by taping to the backs of the seats the names and photographs of those who died and painted on the outside of the bus the words, 27 reasons not to drink and drive, May 14th, 1988. That's the bus. Mm -hmm. And that's him in the bus with the Mm. pictures. He now drives this bus to speaking engagements where he tells his story and warns of the dangers of drinking and driving. John Perman's widow, Dottie, met about nine months after the crash to talk with Joy Williams' widower, Lee Williams. Both of his daughters, Kristen and Robin, died with their mother in the crash as well, uh, even though they had not been close before the crash. One thing led to another. Oh, they began to date, and a little while after that, Lee and Dottie got married. Hmm. That's so sweet. Hmm. That's like a rom... Well, not a rom-com, no. but, you know, like one of those... I know what you mean. Uh, what was a, the... Not Broken Hearts, but it was one of those, like, Kristen Scott Thomas and Harrison Ford meet in this, like, both of their spouses died in a plane crash. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I never saw the movie. At any rate, that's their wedding phone. Okay. Oh, so cute. That's so... That's like a... That's a fucking novel right there. Mm-hmm. Um... Lee is a former chapter president of MAD in Hardin County, Kentucky, and Dottie is the current president. They often talk to school groups about the dangers of drunk driving. Christy Pearman and Wayne Cox, who she had a crush on, eventually got married Hmm. to this. This is like the cutest. Nice. This is so sweet. Thank you, Leanne. You helped it like pay off. Lee walked Christy down the aisle at their wedding, and they now have four children, wow. one of whom now attends the University of Kentucky. Mm. We're almost done. The Ford Motor, Motor Company play, paid for a black marble memorial in North Harden Memorial Garden Cemetery in Radcliffe, Kentucky. The stone lists the names of all the persons who were aboard the bus during the crash. One side says, survived, spared for a season, God knows the reason. And the other side says, deceased gone to rest god knows best Hmm. in front of the marble memorial is a granite monument gifted by the staffers of the courier journal they won a pulitzer prize for their coverage of the bus crash that says let all who view this monument count our dead and know the terrible legacy of drunken driving this monument is a gift from men and women of the courier journal in memory of those killed on may 14 1988 in the nation's worst drunk driving crash the bus involved in the crash was viewed by about 12 of the families of the victims and is now buried in an undisclosed location, you know? Mm, yeah. You know what? That seems extremely fitting. Yeah. Like, let let it, let the people who want to see it for closure see it and then fucking and bury it. it. Get rid of it. The Kentucky Department of Transportation has two small signs, one in either direction of I-71 reading, Site of Fatal Bus Crash, May 14th, 1988, at the site of the crash. There's been some controversy over the signs because people have tried to pull over to take pictures of it or place flowers or wreaths at the sign. Harold Dennis Jr. pointed out in a YouTube video that two of the buildings at Radcliffe First Assembly of God Church are now named John Perriman Hall and Chuck Kea Hall. Okay. That, my friends, 
Plus the fucking roller coaster horrific story of the Carrollton bus crash. Thank you, Leanne. Yes, Damn. thank you very much, Leanne. That was thank excellent you. research. You know what? Also, thank you for making us not have to go through all that. Yeah. <laughs> that research, I mean. Because, man, reading it for two hours has been rough enough. Let alone having to do all the research on it. And it... Oh. It, it seemed to be... I, I think the <clears throat> one good thing about the story is that it seemed to be the lessons were learned from what happened. Yes, Agreed. And we're not only learned, but we're also applied. Learned, applied, um, the person responsible for the crash took at least some level of responsibility mm. for it, um, and also kind of straightened himself out after it. Uh, it sounds like a lot of the survivors found at least some closure, um, Obviously, it affected a lot of people, and so results varied, but um, what is it now? 20, no, jeez, 33 years ago going on? Yeah, it is. Yeah, 1988 was 33 years ago. My God. I know. (laughs) I know, that's really depressing. Yes, it is. (laughs) But that, you know what that means? A lot of the people who survived who were so young are still just like, in their 40s mm-hmm. and maybe approaching 50. It's a long time to live with that mm-hmm. of, of what happened to them. And um, I feel really good for the people who found a measure. Of, well, like Karen, who like was literally, she was super bold in that she was able to actually meet yeah. with Larry and be like, I'm ready to put this to bed. Like right. I, for myself, I need to do this to move on. You know, um, <laughs> it makes <laughs> this is the most inappropriate thing to say, but it makes the petty ass shit that the Real Housewives feud <laughs> about so much pettier. So much pettier when there's legit problems with le- like with real people going on, like. Yes, that that if people are able to move past shit like this, let that be a lesson to all of us that we can move past just about anything. Because damn, that took some took some real, uh, like I said, some enlightened shit to move past for for a lot of these people. And on that note, yeah, we need to. I think that's an appropriate place to to leave off. So that was the Carrollton bus crash. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.